Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. This week, Terminator Dark Fate. Returning stars Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton seem to have swapped scripts. I'll be back. Jojo Rabbit jokes about mass hysteria and Hitler. Ten-year-olds shouldn't be celebrating war and talking politics. Hitler. I wish more of our young boys had your blind fanaticism. <laughs> and Ride Like a Girl is about the first woman jockey to win the Melbourne Cup. Uh, I'm a jockey. I'm available for track work. Who's that riding your horse, baby? A woman jockey. The girl's never going to win the Melbourne Cup, mate. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. This has been a quite extraordinary year for New Zealand-made films. In fact, I can't remember ever seeing such a profligate year of homegrown titles in general release. By my count, at least 20 so far, and the year isn't over yet. They've come in all sizes, genres, and, it has to be admitted, success rates. There have been low budget and feel good, births, deaths and marriages and hang time. There's been a range of Pacifica movies, Vi, For My Father's Kingdom and Take Home Pay. Look at the windspan of those toes. You can definitely tell those are someone footprints. <laughs> There have been ambitious documentaries about capitalism, about rugby, about music. There was even that rare thing, a successful Kiwi musical, the well-received Daffodils. So are you going to ask me out or...? Your mum doesn't like me that much. She doesn't like anyone. Pick me up at six. I look at the sunrise. I want to do things right. I look at a bird. OK, they weren't all hits, but the fact that so many got made and often reached their target audiences is something to celebrate. And the year culminated in this week's quartet of films, all featuring some of this country's best-known names. And the biggest hit, unsurprisingly, came from New Zealand's favourite son at the moment, writer, director, star, Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit. Hi, Adolf. What's wrong, little man? They call me a scared rabbit. Let them say whatever they want. People used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's going to get us all killed. Jojo Rabbit is Taika's most daring venture so far, a satire set in World War II Germany. Its success at home was always pretty much assured, but will it travel? If Tyker's our favourite filmmaker at the moment, our biggest movie star remains the veteran Sam Neill, who's cornered an enviable market on both sides of the Tasman, playing wise, crusty old father figures. How can a horse that was winning come last? If you can go from first to last, no reason you can't go from last to first. 
the role he plays in a warm-hearted Aussie film about the first woman jockey to win the Melbourne Cup. It's called, we'd never get away with it here, I suspect, Ride Like a Girl. Away from the silver screen, if the vote were taken for greatest New Zealander ever, the winner would probably still be the conqueror of Everest, Sir Edmund Hillary. Ed was not only a great adventurer, he remained throughout very humble about his own extraordinary qualities. He was a man whom we all really loved. The film of what Sered always called his greatest adventure, an attempt to reach the source of the Ganges River by jet boat, has been given a director's cut by Michael Dillon and Ed's son Peter Hillary. It's called Hillary Ocean to Sky. But first, another Kiwi superstar, albeit a rather late arrival. James Cameron found time between writing Avatar movies and The Wire a Rapper to put together a sequel to one of his first smash hits, Terminator. Talk. Talk fast. You first. The latest Terminator, subtitled Dark Fate, comes with certain provisos. While technically the sixth of the franchise, writer-producer James Cameron wants us to forget the last three episodes and go back to the source, Terminators 1 and 2. My name is Sarah Connor. August 29, 1997. It was supposed to be Judgment Day. Since all but the most completest Terminator fans have already forgotten the increasingly complicated recent versions, time travel is headache-inducing at the best of times, there was some interest in what would happen with Cameron returning to the fold. Expect a big pain, brother. Whole body's a weapon. Sorry. Cameron wasn't the only returnee. From out of nowhere, Linda Hamilton is back as a battle-scarred Sarah Connor, mother of saviour of the future, John Connor. Sarah, we hope you've forgotten, was killed off in one of the sequels we don't talk about. Well, this time it's John Connor who gets bumped off at the start of this film. Take that, pretty much all the previous episodes that depended on John surviving and setting up the story. Buenos días, Mona. Hace dos días tenía una vida muy simple. Hey, buenos días. Digo, let's go, we're running late. So, start again. And this time, start again in, why not, Mexico City, where young Dani Ramos lives with her dad and brother Diego. The two kids take off to their job at the robot factory, uh-oh, just as a sinister chap visits the family home looking for Danny. Buenas. Se encuentra Daniela Ramos. When Dad arrives at Danny's work, armed to the teeth, we realise he's actually the new upgraded Terminator. This brand is not only virtually unkillable, but it can split into two versions. Just as Termi takes aim at Danny, in springs help, a tall, athletic woman called Grace with a variation on Come With Me If You Want To Live. Danny's not your father. What? 
come with me or you're dead in the next 30 seconds. Grace and Danny take off with Termi on their tail. There's a car chase, various collisions, and just as it seems our two heroines are toast, Sarah Connor arrives, loaded for bear, with a very familiar catchphrase. I'll be back. Where this Terminator scores over its complicated and contradictory predecessors is it knows precisely how much explanation we need. Not much, since the more explanation on offer, the more questions are going to be raised. Sarah Connor has fixed one future, suffice to say, but fate, apparently, covers a wide range of futures. But I changed the future. Saved three billion lives. Enough of a resume for you. No. You may have changed the future, but you didn't change our fate. And also a wide range of human-robot hybrids. We've seen the latest Super Terminator, and it's pretty obvious that Grace has had a bit of work done too. Now all we need is the old-school T-800 Terminator, as played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. How do we stop this thing? I'm going to help you change the future. And there he is, living in happy retirement, we're told, but still willing to tool up for any dark fate going. Incidentally, dark fate is one of those subtitles that the more you look at it, the less sense it makes. I know you're scared, but I'm here to protect you. I've never seen one like you before. Almost human. I am human. Just enhanced. In other words, this Terminator seems to include everything the fans could possibly want. It's got the best bits of the first two films, the good ones, including the welcome return of Arnie and Linda Hamilton. It's got some admirable diversity in the new, mostly female cast. So why has this Terminator underperformed so badly in the American box office? Why do you care what happens to her? Because I was her. Is it because the original films this one is referencing were so long ago, 1984 and 1991 respectively? Is it because today's all-important youth market isn't interested in an action film starring old people? I'm done running. I'm going to stand and fight! Or maybe this reboot is simply one time travel hop too far. I enjoyed it, but I suspect if you're not a die-hard Linda Hamilton fan with a good memory, there may not be much for you in Terminator Dark Fate. If you don't make it, everybody dies. Why not just let me have her? Because we're not machines, you metal mother. Jojo Rabbit is a streamlined adaptation of Christine Lunan's book, Caging Sky, a darkly funny portrait of a German boy who's a keen member of the Hitler Youth near the end of the Second World War. Taika Waititi's rewrite pairs down the timeline from years to months and reduces Johannes Betzler's family to just one, young Jojo's mum, played by Scarlett Johansson. Here's Marshall Jojo. You're a top man. Prepare to leave the house. 
Today you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. Most important, the new version Jojo Rabbit maintains Taika Waititi's trademark light, often farcical touch. This culminates in the most controversial side of the film, giving Jojo an imaginary friend, Adolf Hitler. I don't think I can do this. Russ? Of course you can. comes to. When I was your age, I had an imaginary friend. Got me in so much trouble. <laughs> As a way of externalising Jojo's obsessive worship of Hitler, like so many of his generation, this is a clever idea, with the curse taken off it by having Hitler played by Taika himself. This is Hitler as imagined by a lonely ten-year-old kid, a kid who can't understand why his mother isn't as keen on the Fuhrer as all Jojo's friends are. The Allies have taken Italy, France will be next, and soon the war will be over. God damn it! Why does that make you happy? You hate your country that much? I love my country. It's a war I hate. It's pointless and stupid. And the sooner we have peace, the better. Though with friends like this, Jojo is bullied by his fellow Hitler youths and ends up accidentally blowing himself up with a stray hand grenade. He survives, but heavily scarred. His mother is furious and lets the adult in charge know it. Another not-too-bright fascist played by Sam Rockwell. Rob Bessler, you're looking fetching as usual. Oh. It's because of you my son can't walk properly and has a messed up face. <coughs> Stole my hand and leg. Just took it. Yeah, yeah. It was always a danger that a film like Jojo Rabbit could be seen as trivialising the events it covers. But that's not what happens here. From the opening shots of a Nazi rally accompanied by the Beatles singing in German, the point is made that they're simply different kinds of mass hysteria. You're growing up too fast. Ten-year-olds shouldn't be celebrating war and talking politics. Hitler, I wish more of our young boys had your blind fanaticism. <laughs> At home, Jojo and his mother agree to differ on the subject of politics. But there comes a time when politics becomes very close to home. Jojo hears strange scratching noises in the attic and investigates. Did you know Jews can read each other's minds? But how would you know if you saw one? They could look just like us. Hi. It turns out a young Jewish girl, Elsa, has been hiding in the house for weeks. Jojo is torn. His mother has obviously conspired to hide this dangerous character. He doesn't want to turn mum in, but his conscience, as manifested by his invisible friend Adolf, is appalled at such a betrayal. You know what I am? Sid. A Jew. Gesundheit. What am I going to do? No idea. Got it! I've negotiated. Burn down the house and blame Winston Churchill. Or negotiate. As always, Tyker's casting is spot on. Jojo himself is played by an English first-timer called Roman Griffin Davis. And since he's in virtually every shot, it's a remarkable performance for one so young. And he works very well with Kiwi's star on the rise, Thomas and Mackenzie, as Elsa. I tell on you, you'll be in big trouble. They'll never win. Love is the strongest thing in the world. Your mother took me in. She's kind. She treats me like a person. 
The support cast is mostly made up of a string of comedy Nazi cameos, Rebel Wilson, Alfie Allen and Stephen Merchant. Only Scarlett Johansson and Sam Rockwell are given much more to do. Rockwell in particular is the war-weary cynic whose last ambition is to die the way he wants is very funny. Guys, this is Johannes Betzler. The kid I told you about, remember, he stole a hand grenade and blew himself up, and as a result, I got demoted for negligence. Now I get to work in this office with all these wonderful kids. Jojo Rabbit is a huge hit at home. Two or three weeks on, it's still playing to enthusiastic, packed houses. The big question is, will something with such a quirky and Kiwi sensibility make inroads in Europe or America? Well, you could say, does it matter? But it's unlikely that's a position that the ambitious Tiger himself will take. I'm the enemy. You're not a Nazi, Jojo. You're a ten-year-old kid who likes dressing up in a funny uniform and wants to be part of a club. Taika Waititi's old leading man, Sam Neill, has been busy across the Tasman, notably in a new film about an Australian celebrity, jockey Michelle Payne, who famously became the first woman to ride the winner of the Melbourne Cup in 2015. What sort of jockey would you like to say? Uh, I just want to win the Melbourne Cup. All set to go for the Melbourne Cup. Stand by for the race that stops the nation. The story of Ride Like a Girl is, therefore, I assume, very well known in Australia, if not here. And it comes bearing many elements that are so feel-good that you assume they've been made up, but apparently not. Melbourne Cup, 1965. Light Fingers. 88. Empire Rose. 1974. Think Big. Let's go, Master! Michelle Payne was the youngest of ten children, of whom eight boys and girls became jockeys. Since mum died shortly after Michelle was born, they're all brought up by solo dad Paddy, played by Sam Neill. Dad is firm but fair, and there's nothing he doesn't know about training horses or jockeys. Horse gallops with his lungs, he perseveres with his heart, and he wins with his character. You're riding slow, pick it up. I'm not sure why Australians are so much better at the rousingly sentimental than we are. Maybe it's because they're not scared to pluck at the heartstrings firmly and often. That's certainly the technique employed here by veteran screenwriter Andrew Knight and actress-turned-director Rachel Griffiths. Hi, I'm Michelle Payne. Uh, I'm a jockey. I'm available for track work. Who's that riding your horse, baby? A woman jockey. The girl's never going to win the Melbourne Cup, mate. Young Michelle, a spunky performance by Teresa Palmer, goes against her father's wishes and gets into racing too early, butting heads with the powers that be. It seems women jockeys are expected to compete only in the small country meets, not in Group 1, which is where the big money is. You'd have a fine career in the country. I don't want a fine career in the bloody country. I want to ride Group 1s. I want to be the best. You're out of your mind. Get married, go travelling and have kids. I don't see you telling your husbands to give up. The best scenes in Ride Like a Girl take us into the heart of the bunch as each jockey looks for that all-important gap that will allow one of them to break through. Will Michelle make it? Will she persuade her father she can stand on her own feet? Or will his stubborn pride force them apart forever? 
The only thing that matters is the odds you give yourself. These are all, needless to say, purely rhetorical questions since everyone knows that Michelle will triumph at the end and earn a twinkle in her dad's eye. But I'm glad the film didn't shoehorn in an unnecessary romantic subplot and instead they allowed Michelle's real-life Down Syndrome brother, the delightful Stevie Payne, to play himself in the film. Can I do this? I don't know if I can. <laughs> and there's an era of excitement before the Melbourne Cup. If you're remotely interested in horse racing, or even if you're not but like seeing virtue rewarded for a change and you can get past the title, then I think you'll have a lovely time at Ride Like a Girl. You found it, little girl. New Zealand's love affair with our first and most agreed greatest peacetime hero, Sir Ed Hillary, continues with a documentary about one of his greatest adventures. Certainly he always said this trip was his favourite. In 1953, Mount Everest was first climbed by Tenzing Norgay and my father, Edmund Hillary. And that same year, in New Zealand, a radical new kind of boat was invented. The jet boat. The story has been told before, but not as thoroughly as this, with contributions from so many of the people who shared the journey. In 1977, Hillary was a superstar at home, but in India, his fame was even greater. Two big moments really had combined to bring us here. My father, climber of the Himalaya's greatest mountain, would also try to be the first to climb the Himalaya's greatest river. Throughout the film, clunkily titled Hillary Ocean to Sky, it's repeatedly pointed out the locals considered him some sort of deity. But this journey had an added significance. Both Ed and his son Peter had recently undergone a terrible tragedy. For my father and I, though, the journey would be deeply personal. For the turbulence of the rapids we faced would be nothing to the losses of my mother and sister. It was on one of his hospital building expeditions. The pilot had not done his proper security checks. He took off and then drove straight into the ground and killed everybody on board. So the jet boat trip up the Ganges was as much therapy as an expedition. And it's a mark of the man that the people he chose to come with him were an assortment. Jet boat experts, family, friends, and luckily for us, ace cameramen Michael Dillon and Walker Atwell. One of Ed's oldest friends, the delightful Dr Jim Wilson, was brought in as spiritual advisor. He wanted his friends to be part of the expedition rather than bringing in experts. So small wonder that we loved him and would go anywhere with him. If I had a complaint about Hillary Ocean to Sky, it's that it gives away too much too early. Not just in the trailer, which pretty much tells you everything, but even in the title, which also tells you everything, but in just four words. And then after that, crazy kaleidoscope of colour and sound it was like nothing would stop us. And then, whoa... However, the cleaned-up footage and the recollections of the surviving members of the expedition are engrossing and more than make up for the slightly overwritten narration by Peter Hillary. My father had begun to develop a condition with altitude. We looked like a corpse. 
Was I about to lose my father as well? This is a story that tells itself, you want to say. There's no need for slightly forced added suspense or after-the-event pop psychology. He was a complicated man, Ed Hillary, and as always with such a person, the best shots are of his face without comment. And we've reached Journey's End ourselves. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.